1: Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I am your host, Cameron Tebetai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. I always am. We're going to get right to it, and we welcome in a very special guest, uh, a woman who really doesn't need an introduction, representative for the state of Massachusetts in the American Congress, Ayanna Presley. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Representing the Massachusetts Seventh humbly, uh, while also proudly.
1: We're very excited to have you. Uh, we had Mar Healy on a few weeks ago. Um, oh so we're still transitioning into a Massachusetts <laughs> politics podcast, I suppose. Um, you're here in part because you led a resolution honoring the late, great Bill Russell, which we're going to start with. Um, but we'll ask you about your fandom and uh, then just kind of politics writ large. Um, so when we have big cheese guests, of which you are one, you are a big cheese <laughs> in my mind, uh, sure. we take it in three parts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to swing to Justin he'll introduce himself, he'll ask a few questions, and we'll go from there.
0: So, Ayanna
1: Prasley, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast.
0: Thank you.
2: Okay, so, uh, Justin Quinn, uh, I write and edit Celtics Wire on USA Today. We are super psyched to have you, as Cam was alluding to. And when it comes to Bill Russell, uh, as I was saying off air earlier, I am a Celtics fan primarily through accident of birth. I grew up in Eastern Connecticut, so that was just the home team. And I, I, you know, gradually became really into the Celtics as I got older. But Bill Russell has been my favorite basketball player for about a decade now after learning about who he is as not a basketball player. Right. So I'm really excited to talk to you about what you have done in the past to honor him. Uh starting with a, a resolution when you were still on the uh, city council of Boston uh to honor uh the uh, excuse me, not the resolution, the statue uh that you that you guys put together. Um could you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: Absolutely. Um It was at a time on the Boston City Council, which I served on for eight years, where we were having a conversation about um, parity and um, equitable representation in uh, the city's monuments and statues and symbols. Um, And so as a part of that conversation, uh, myself and another at-large colleague at the time, John Connolly, introduced a resolution uh, for this statue because um, the contributions of Bill Russell um, I think are Amer- American history um, they're Boston history they are American history uh, and they are worthy of of recognition and an accolade um, and that is and, and a, a permanent fixture uh, in the city of Boston and so that's why we we introduced that resolution and um it, it was incredible to see that ultimately thanks to the advocacy of many of which we were in broader coalition with um, to see that come to pass.
2: Did you have a chance to meet him uh, during all of that? I know he attended the ceremony. Uh, he had some interesting comments about, uh, well, he doesn't really like awards in general, so it wasn't exactly the statue that uh, he made the comments uh, about that were you know not exactly Super excited. He's he's always been kind of ambivalent about awards. Did you have a chance to meet him uh, when that happened?
0: I have been in rooms in distant proximity, um, but never had the uh, the privilege of meeting him up close and personal. Um, I did have that honor, although today we're talking about the Celtics, but um, of meeting Willie O'Ree, uh, who was another um, extraordinary um a sports legend and a humanitarian and a trailblazer um, who um, I advocated to receive the Congressional uh, Gold Medal, the highest honor that you can give any civilian. Um, and uh, so I did have the opportunity, who was a Boston Bruins and desegregated the Bruins. And so um, I did have the opportunity to meet him, but I did not have the opportunity to meet Bill Russell.
2: So, Ex-President Barack Obama uh, called for it when he gave Bill the Medal of Freedom. Was he involved any further beyond just calling for it, or was he just like the person who set the ball in motion for that statute?
0: Honestly, I don't know, and I don't want to uh, have the record be inaccurate here um, in terms of the sequencing. I think the point here is that um, many of us have had the seed planted uh, that Bill Russell is deserving of accolade and, and recognition and uh, sort of evolving from my original advocacy on the Boston City Council and now in Congress um, with this resolution in partnership with Senator uh, Ed Markey. Um, you know, I think the point here is that uh, he was a, a big man on the court, but an even bigger man off the court. Um an incredible, uh, a champion for social justice, a truth teller, a disruptor. I love that uh, he was not someone. Um, he didn't pander. Uh, he did not pander or equivocate. He was uh, the same in public as he was in private, um, and uh, you know he's just uh, deserving of recognition. And congressional intent is a very powerful thing. Um, And so I think uh, any uh, accolade, award, recognition, or honor that could be bestowed, uh, someone who made such great contributions, again, to what I consider to be um, Black history and Black history is American history, um, I I will certainly uh, proudly uh, advocate for that.
2: Could you tell us a little bit more about that resolution you guys put together? Because I noticed uh, when I wrote a little article, uh, summing it up, that it was across the aisle. It was broadly supported. It was enthusiastically supported with very extensive comments from everyone, from, from, from you guys that you mentioned uh, to Elizabeth Warren and all the way down to to some uh, local state politicians. And you guys had tons of stuff to say about that. Could you tell me how that came together?
0: Well, um, uh, not to, again, bring it back to Willie O'Ree, but there are some similarities here. Um, uh, The same was true when I introduced the resolution for Willie O'Ree having desegregated the NHL to receive the Congressional Gold Medal. And then when we introduced this resolution uh, for Bill Russell, uh, you know, it speaks to the power of sport. Uh, It is really uh, transcendent. And uh, to be heroic is to be heroic. And that's true in in urban, uh, rural, suburban parts of this country, in red states and blue states and purple states. Um, You know, again, he had a tremendous impact both on and off the court. court. And our resolution is just really a testament to a lifetime of service, his contributions to the game and the example that he has set. um, You know, I think honestly for, athletes in their activism, uh, in their consciousness period, uh, but in particular black athletes. It's, it's impossible to divorce uh, the work of a LeBron James um, or um, a Dwayne Wade um, today from, um, from that of Bill Russell. In the same way that you can't divorce um, his you know, people talk about him being an intellectual player. That's because he was astutely intellectual uh, himself. You know, so he didn't just uh, introduce the fast break and change the Celtics, change or define the Celtics game, um, you know, as this this big man who changed, uh, you know, defense in every way. Uh, that intellectual, uh, that astuteness, uh, that thoughtfulness, that strategy, that discipline—you um, know—that permeated every aspect of his life and his being. I think basketball was actually the extension of that, and not the and not the other way around. And when you think about his origin story, uh, you know, coming here, um, you know, fleeing a segregated South, and um, his father. Uh, you know, wanting to migrate and to move because he wanted to be out uh, from under the the dominance of a segregated um, South. Um, It it explains so much about uh, his principles, uh, again, how he was forged. And so it really is not surprising um, that he did everything from wear a goatee, which people considered to be very, uh, you know, even militant at the time, Um, you know, championing the need for for quotas for Black uh, referees. I mean, uh, what I love about Bill Russell is that he could have been very comfortable. I mean, not really, I guess, because he was also constantly, even with being who he was, experiencing still uh, racism. But he could have said, I'm making a decent living here Mm -hmm. um, and just focused on himself. But he was about bringing others along and uplifting um, those that were marginalized and oppressed. And I think that was true across the board, but including and especially for Black Americans. Um, and then while doing that, you know, by the way, uh, making history um, with the Celtics.
2: Yeah, when you talk about how important the intellectual aspect of, of his being was to his game, uh, it really connects me to what I wanted to talk to you about next in my favorite active Celtic. Uh, There are a number of Celtics who really fit the bill of an activist uh, in in terms of also being an NBA player, but none, in my opinion, more than Jalen Brown, uh, who, when he came into the league, was criticized by a GM, uh, who evidently he was listening to at the time, it turns out uh, later on, for being too intellectual on whether or not he really loved the game of basketball, which you know, being aware of, of Russell's past sounded like the most absurd thing I ever heard of and instantly enamored me with him. Um, so I wanted to ask you like how important are players today like Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, etc., cetera uh, to the game of, of, of basketball, but also to what we uh, are seeing from them in terms of their impact socially?
0: Well, they have huge platforms. And so um, when you have a huge platform um, I, I think that you have a responsibility and I know there was there's been debates about this for decades, you know, and and those who have been, um, I think, uh, offensive in saying, saying or inferring just shut up and dribble. Um, you know, they have platforms and because they have platforms, they have influence. And I think they have a responsibility um, to be responsible stewards of that platform uh, and to influence in a way that is intentional. Um, Otherwise, I think um, it it would be irresponsible. They hold a lot of power. Their footprint, uh, both literally and figuratively is so big. And so, um, you know, I appreciate Jalen. I I know um, uh, he was actually recently uh, in my district um, since I, I do represent um, Dorchester and uh, actually proudly called that community. Uh, my family and I, we did call it our home for a decade plus. Now we live in Hyde Park. Um, but, you know, he's very present in community. Uh, he's very conscious and I think he moves with um, a level of, uh, of intention that is uh, consistent, you know, with, with the legacy in the sh- of Bill Russell and the shoulders of which he, and so many other players stand. I think that there's been a, a resurgence of activism uh, from athletes in recent years. I think certainly that hit um, the tipping the tip of the spear moment was um, the last three years um, uh, with the more high profile uh, tragedies and, and instances of uh, police brutality that occurred, but. Um, I think we have seen in the last you know five to ten years, a real resurgence of the activist athlete. Um, philanthropy, uh, civic engagement, electoral politics, um, educational equity, you know, really all social justice issues. And I have had uh, players from the organization, Uh, through third parties reach out to me in my office uh, on several occasions wanting to partner with me on uh, issues relative to reforms in our criminal legal system.
2: Very cool. Now we're going to downshift to a slightly different register uh, with Alex. He's got some uh, questions about Chicago,
0: I think. Okay.
3: Among other things, thank you, Justin. And uh, thank you, Con- Congresswoman Presley. It's really an honor to have you on here. Really appreciate your time. Uh, for those listening at home, I'm Alex. I am a Celtics Lab podcaster and voice of the fans. I am a history teacher. I am a bass player and I am so much more. Um, and I have some questions for I'm so you.
0: jealous. Bass <laughs> players are the coolest people.
3: I, I, You know, I really agree. Thank you so much for saying it. (laughs) Um, So Congresswoman Presley, um, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about is uh, that you grew up in part in Chicago for a while. And there's another basketball team in Chicago that was hitting some prominence right around when you moved to Boston. Um, Did you grow up a Bulls fan? Were you part of the Bulls fan community? Are you still a Bulls fan?
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. So do you think I would come to your table to this podcast, big (laughs) upping the Bulls? The audacity. I just had Um, to
3: ask. Okay.
0: (laughs) So uh, I was raised in Chicago. I lived there 18 years. Uh, my mother, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, passed away about 11 years ago, um, but she was uh, the first sort of sports junkie and enthusiast that I was exposed to. My mother subscribed to Sports Illustrated. Um, she saved up to get cable at the time it was called on TV, like no one had it, but she got that just to watch boxing, um, and uh, she was regularly a uh, courtside at Bulls games. Uh, I also my first job which made my high school boyfriend very very happy was at foot locker <laughs> uh, <and> so, <laughs> so, so um, but my mother honestly was the one that that uh, that influenced my um, appreciation uh, for sports but she was much more astute than I she would follow folks from high school to college you know into the pros know all those stats really um, I, I think what honestly drew me uh, to players is, is Chicago high school basketball mm-hmm. uh, because that history is bananas, right? Oh yeah, so, like, and it still is. Jalen Brown, you know, Derek Rose, Isaiah Thomas, Jabari Parker. I mean, these are just some of the greats, right? And um, be, And I love their stories. So like, honestly, what really got me more into the game um, was the stories of the players. You know, I was very uh, interested in people's origin stories because I thought it explained a lot about the anatomy of them as players um, and their psychology and sort of how they approach things. And I know people might feel like there's there was, many of them had the same story, but you know, to me there was always texture and nuance in that. And um, I loved better understanding just um, their origin story, you know, kind of where they were, where they were, you know, forged in this, if you will. Same thing with Bill Russell, right? As I was speaking to um, earlier about um, uh, his roots and how that shaped him as a man and as a player. And so, um, because I was so into the stories behind the players, and because of the incredible history of high school um, basketball players in Chicago. Uh, the very first movie that I saw, a documentary on basketball, of course, was Hoop Dreams. And yeah, that classic. set me on this path of literal obsession with basketball documentaries.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean,
0: awesome. There is not, you can't name one, just try. There, there's not a bas- a movie about basketball that I have not seen. I have, I have exhausted ESPN 3030. I have, ex- I mean, just obviously far beyond that. I mean, I was just trying to remember, there's this one, um, this one documentary. What is his name? Lenny Cook? You guys oh, have- yeah. Oh yeah, wow,
3: that's a deep I, cut. <laughs>
0: I'm trying to tell you, bro, I'm not <laughs> cutting on this. <laughs> you want to know what I'm doing at 2 a.m. If I'm not reading a brief, I am watching a basketball documentary. Um, That's awesome. And, and that one about Lenny Cook, I really was so fixated on because um, he played, everybody was waiting for this matchup between Lenny Cook and um, and LeBron. Uh, and this is when they were like kids at the, you know, the All-American uh, camp and everything. And I'm so intrigued by what players then go on to prominence and then who sort of fades to black. And I'm always trying to understand like, what was that moment? You know, what was the crossroads? What happened? Um, and that was just when we were starting to see kids getting drafted right out of high school. Um, and, and then things kind of went left on that, you know, <laughs> but in any event, I'll, I'll stop there. But uh, that, that's a, a little bit about how I come to this. Uh, it was the storytelling. And it was high school basketball in Chicago. And then it was my mother's uh, example.
2: And of course, today,
0: I am a Celtics fan. But back in the day when I worked at Foot Locker, was I rocking a bull starter jacket? Of course. I grew up in the 90s. What are we talking about here?
3: I mean, that makes (laughs) sense. Like, it's you and only a couple other billion people in the world (laughs) at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned how much your mother was kind of an impact on your basketball uh, fandom and kind of love for the game. Um, and another thing that we uh, wanted to talk about is that uh, it seems like that's been the case kind of throughout your family that that's continued. So your daughter is a Hooper or at least a Hoophead. Um, but I'm kind uh, so I'm kind of curious. It seems like you've passed on your love of the game to the next generation in your family. Did you have a hoops career at any point?
0: Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did not have a hoops career, okay? <laughs> I played basketball, but I, you know, in full disclosure, I went to one of those schools in Chicago where, you know, kind of everyone makes the team, you know what I mean? It's so yeah <laughs> I, the, the, I'm I'm from the uh, the participation trophy generation uh. Uh, so, okay <laughs> you know I'm I'm, I'm I'm 48 all right so it was a very different time um uh I was co-captain of my cheerleading squad so and I do want to shout out the cheerleaders they do not get enough love we are oh, athletes too and we are very critical uh you know to the game so I was a cheerleader Uh, But my daughter, uh, she really just uh, it was just exposure, just, uh, you know, being with her father and I uh, watching games. And um, and then when she expressed a a desire to play, my husband put her in a league in Roxbury where she was the only girl uh, because he wanted her to um, be tested, (laughs) you know. Uh, And so, um, you know, and she was she did get a little MVP uh, trophy. Wow. Really started to sort of hone her point guard chops. Uh, she's a little thing, but she's fast. You know, she's got a quick first step. Um, she's got a, you know, a good yeah. She's actually she's got a pretty good three point uh, shot, but she's uh, not playing right now. Um, but uh, her love for basketball and also football has certainly not waned, um, and uh, and I know she'll she'll get back to it.
3: Thank you very much. Um, We're going to keep it moving. So thinking now back to kind of your your day job as, you know, a congresswoman and politician (laughs) and all sorts of things. There is some intersection with uh, the Boston Celtics and some politics, particularly in the form of assistant GM Mike Zarin, who mentioned that he is a big fan of ranked choice voting as well. Mm Uh, supported by Governor Candidate Maura Healey. Healey, so sorry.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh,
3: so I guess we're wondering, what are your thoughts on ranked choice yeah. voting? Would you support that? Would you support bringing it back? Um, kind of what's your stance there?
0: Sure, well, I, um, there was a, uh, a campaign for the ballot question uh, last cycle and uh, I was an endorser of that. So I do support ranked choice voting especially where we see there are crowded primaries because it really allows candidates to win with less than half or even less than a quarter of the popular vote. And it really favors candidates with, um, you know, crowded primaries favor candidates with more financial resources. And so the thing about ranked choice voting is uh, it elects people supported by the broadest majority of voters and the winner more accurately reflects the true will of the people. So, you know, I just think it levels the playing field, especially for women, people of color and independence. Um, You know, we want people to run for office uh, who bring a diversity of lived experience um, because you can't have a government for, and by the people, if it isn't actually by all of the people. Uh, and so, you know, representation is not for symbolism, it's for how that lived experience and perspective shows up in our policies. So, and there's also been um, just one more data point because I like data in addition to documentaries. I like data. And there's a lot of evidence from municipalities and states that have already adopted ranked choice voting that it increases the number of diverse candidates who run and who are elected by deprioritizing the money, the importance of money in elections. So um, it just makes our government more reflective. And, and it, I think in turn, it makes our elected officials more responsive to voters. So yes, I do support ranked choice voting.
3: And you've just provided me with some great material for my students in the future. So thank you very okay. much. Appreciate it. That's right, that.
0: because you're like the <laughs> hyphen, hyphen, hyphen here. There
3: you go. <laughs> Um, So one more question and then I'm going to swing it to Cameron. Um, First off, again, thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, I want to let you know that I, I voted for you this past election cycle. I voted for you in the past. Uh, and I appreciate your positions on a number of different policies, including ranked choice voting. But there's one position that you've taken that I feel really strongly has okay. kind of won my vote, which is you've gone on record to say that Marcus Smart should never be traded at any <laughs> point. Uh, that's as a single issue voter, I, didn't I think that's. I didn't-
0: that one coming
3: that's that's really important to me so I'm wondering uh before I swing you to cam yeah what are your expectations for my favorite player Marcus Smart and also for the Celtics this season
0: listen first of all um I'm just big on loyalty and so I was still in my feelings about Isaiah Thomas and so Mm -hmm. I was just like please you know don't do this again right um and um and and I really love team ball, you know, I think uh, the Celtics, like, that's really what has been developed here, right, you know, um, each person bringing their individual sort of strengths, um, you know, Marcus was defensive player of the year, I mean, so we're lucky to have him, so I'm really excited about this upcoming season, Um, we came just within two games of Banner 18 last year, and I think we've only strengthened our roster this summer, so, um, you know, I'm excited, and I think that 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 Tatum and Brown and Smart are going to come back stronger, more experienced. And I think, um, you know, we've got some injuries, you know, that we're working through. But uh, once uh, you know Rob is back, we'll be in a great position to make another run at the finals. So that's what
3: we like to hear. Yeah,
0: listen, I've got an optimism bias, no doubt. But I also (laughs) bleed green, baby. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) so I'm always gonna be optimistic. All right. You know, you can check the receipts on my timeline. I wasn't just cheering on these brothers. Uh, I wasn't (laughs) just cheering on our team uh, when uh, it was all copacetic. You know, there were some dark days there. And I was going crazy on my timeline about all these fair weather fans. So like (laughs) I said, I'm big on loyalty.
3: We love to hear
1: it. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to swing it to Cameron for the last phase. Okay. Sure. Uh, First of all, Tremendous. Uh, maybe you should co-host this podcast because you really do know hoops. Uh, Ayanna, I'm I'm going to move quick. Yeah. Celerity is of the utmost importance. Um, okay. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about a few things. Okay. Um, I'll say I don't like to use the word location. I like I mean uh, identity. I like to use the term social location. Okay. Um, because sometimes you know we we're checked boxes that don't mean so so much to me, but. I'm gonna break down some of my social location as a way of talking about certain things. So I identify as a student loan holder. That is an identity that I hold. Um, Can you give me a quick piece on your uh, point of view on what's happening with student loans and what happens next?
0: Something transformative, game-changing for the 800,000 plus borrowers in Massachusetts, the 100,000 borrowers in my district, the Massachusetts 7th. and 43 million people writ large in this country are going to have their load just a little bit lighter. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is um, a fight that I led in the House, working closely with Leader Schumer and Senator Warren. Um, And um, I wanna encourage people to go to um, let me check my note because I want to get this right because <laughs> I want to make sure as many people as possible are signing up for this. Uh, but I want folks to go to studentaid.gov slash studentaid.gov slash debt relief. Um, and in doing that, you'll receive notification very soon because all these things are going online. You'll be able to then um, prove your verification of income. And uh, in um, you know four to six weeks, people will start to see this relief, and in some instances, have their debt zeroed out completely. Uh, this is a nearly two trillion dollar crisis. You know, when we first started this fight two years ago, there were people that tried to make the issue fringe, marginalize who would be uh, who would benefit. They tried to say it'd be regressive and impact. They tried to say it would only benefit white graduate students who went to affluent, um, you know, institutions. Completely false. Um, you know, for those who would argue this is a hand out, it is a hand up. For those who would say, I took on loans, I paid them off, and you should too. Look, I took out loans. I'm consistent with 85% of Black borrowers whose family don't have generational wealth having been blocked out of every federal program from uh, the New Deal to the GI Bill to the Homestead Act victimized by redlining, you know, I'm no anomaly. You know, black borrowers borrow at 85%, white borrowers at 65%, black borrowers five times more likely to default. I was one of those. I took out loans, single-parented household, first one to pursue higher education. Why did I do that? Because society told me, we live in a meritocracy, education's the equalizer. If you wanna make a contribution, if you wanna get ahead, you have gotta go to school. Uh, The problem is, How can it be the equalizer if it continues to become farther and farther out of reach for people? The cost of higher education has increased by 150%. So when people say, I went to school, I took out loans, I paid those loans, this is usually not an apples to apples comparison. But I will say personally, I did do all those things and I still want people to have this relief, uh, to have a cancellation where where that is applicable um, because the road is supposed to be easier for the next generation. That's what's supposed to happen in a just society. Now, it doesn't address the root causes. We still have to, I think, invest in higher education as the public good that it is. We need tuition-free college. We need to invest in Pell Grants. We need to invest in HBCUs. But this is a bold step in the right direction. If you're a Pell Grant recipient, and those were our borrowers who were in the greatest need, $20,000 worth of your debt is canceled. And for non-Pell Grant recipients, $10,000. And so it's an economic justice issue. It's a gender justice issue. Two thirds of this debt is carried by women and it's a racial justice issue. And in fact, one in four black borrowers will have their debt zeroed out completely now. Um, and uh, and uh, one in two uh, Latinx borrowers will have their debt zeroed out. So again, um, you know, we fought for it to go deeper and farther because we always want to advance policies that go as far and as deep as the herd. Uh, so that fight, you know, continues for more relief. But we are not going to give short shrift to the fact that 43 million people are going to have uh, relief. So go to studentaid.gov slash debt relief, sign up so you can get notified. I want everyone who is eligible uh, for this relief to benefit from it.
1: Tremendous. I I was actually looking that up yesterday on my day off. Um, And as an aside, your colleague Ed Markey famously paid his way through BC by driving an ice cream truck. And that math just doesn't work anymore. It's a a different game. That's Um,
0: right. That's right.
1: Another part of my social location is I am an educator, but I I feel like you you touched on that. So I'll close with one last thing. Um, A third aspect of my social location is I'm an Iranian-American. So this week, especially, I know why I'm voting in November, but... Um, From your point of view, from where you're at in the world, why is it so important that we vote this November?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it it sounds trite to say it, but it's not hyperbole. It is just the facts. Quite literally, every issue is on the ballot and um, our democracy is on the ballot. Uh, The preservation of our democracy is on the ballot Um, as someone who is a survivor of the January 6th insurrection. Um, we know what happens where there is inaction and where there is inertia, there is insurrection. And so it was now, now is not the time for detached acceptance of a undermining and a rolling back of reproductive justice and freedom. You know, now is not the time for detached acceptance of voter suppression, of um, emboldened white supremacy. Um, You know, we have to continue to remain vigilant we have to fight for the gains that have been made, fight like hell for them to preserve them and to build upon them. Um, and so I'm of the belief that policy is everything. It's my love language. Uh, I think uh, we've proven what it is to legislate hurt and harm, every injustice, every inequity, you know, every racial injustice. I represent the most unequal delegation or district rather in our delegation and one of the most unequal districts in the country. Do you all know that from Cambridge, Harvard Square to Roxbury, Nubian Square, the blackest part of my district that life expectancy drops by 30 years and median household income by $50,000. That is the result of policy choices. What I would characterize as policy violence. So if, if we can legislate hurt and harm or if they can, we must legislate equity, healing and justice. So quite simply, Who you vote for determines who's elected and who's elected determines the policies. And the policies determine who lives, who dies, who survives, who thrives. So if you want a country, you want a democracy, if you want a planet, we need you to vote.
1: Stunned silence on my side of the screen here. Um, Ayanna Pressley, we can't thank you enough for your time for your representation on the Hill. Oh. Um, and quite frankly, for your candor as a Celtics fan. I mean, that's that's very helpful on our end too.
0: Um. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Well, you know, I'll come back for some analysis. Otherwise I'll just keep sure. giving you guys some hot takes on Twitter, okay? And, and hey, fun. let us
3: know if you ever catch a game this year. We'll try and make it. <laughs>
0: I sure will. I, okay, I do have to concede this. There's nothing like the garden, but I wanna say Chicago fan food, it is better. Mm.
1: oh interesting i, like I don't have a of reference i have to, to believe you.
0: you if you have not had a chicago hot dog
1: oh well yeah i mean that's fair i don't know you can get the you can get a clam chowder at the game it's a little awkward to like sit and eat your chowder but you can clam baby. chowder at a basketball
3: that game? Clam
0: chowder, that's weird I do, man i don't know <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't
2: know that.
1: That. i'm standing <laughs> by it <laughs> <laughs> all,
0: right, you, <laughs> <laughs> all right gentlemen thank you brothers appreciate you thanks very very much thanks. all right like thank you
1: So thank you again to Ayanna Presley, representative for the state of Massachusetts in the House of Representatives, and maybe our most interesting guest. um, Really knows hoops. We're going to talk about the news, the preseason, a few other things, but first, we're going to pause the action and talk about our friends over at betonline.ag, your number one source for all your football betting needs this season, on top of everything else you might need. You can find the latest odds, team matchup, Player news, game trends, all on betonline.ag. It's your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting, free contests, and live scores, plus giveaways all season long. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events from MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag today to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts Okay, we're in the preseason. And since we last chatted, uh, the Celtics have just pulverized the Hornets. I know it's a preseason, doesn't matter, but whoa. And then um, I know it's a preseason, doesn't matter, kind of choked away uh, a big lead to the Raptors, but we can get into that. We'll talk about Blake Griffin and maybe some other stuff. Gentlemen we could get into both games with specificity, but just in general, how are you feeling about the team? Justin, I'll go to you first.
2: I'm actually surprised at how well they're playing, given everything that's been happening in terms of injuries, uh, unexpected, uh, chaos in the coaching department, which we don't. Uh, Whatever do you mean? Yeah. And so with, with all of this ambiguity, uh, regarding the things that could be derailing their season, uh, they've been playing really really well their defense looks just as good uh in you know this obviously high level context uh that's a joke um (laughs) but i mean the defense looks really good right and the offense looks even better uh the addition of malcolm brogdon in particular uh the emergence of sam hauser uh i'm excited i'm really really excited to see what this team can do when they're actually trying
3: cool alex Yeah, I'm feeling good, man. Sam Hauser looks like he is a high-quality NBA rotation player, justifying what has now been a a year or so of behind-the-scenes hype that never really blossomed. It seems like this is going to be a big year for him. I totally agree on the Brogdon fit. Uh, And one thing that's really kind of stood out to me is that Jalen Brown in particular looks really motivated this year. He looks like he has got something to prove. And who can blame him if he makes all NBA in one of the next two seasons, he's going to be in line for a monster payday. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I think some of these kind of unproven guys like Kabengele and Noah Vonleh are showing me something as well. Um, there's definitely, it's not perfect. There's definitely some warts. Uh, the turnovers are still a little dicey and, you know, Jason Tatum is maybe going to do his usual slow start to the season, which we should now just kind of factor in, I think. <laughs> but uh,
1: overall, pretty happy. Yeah, I'll just add before we get specific that Malcolm Brogdon is such an important addition to this team. His passing is... He's the best passer on the team, as best as I can tell, or at least trying to be. And what he offers to the second unit um, for Hauser and Pritchard, and surprisingly, Grant Williams is really intriguing to me, um, to say nothing of his leadership off the court, Brogdon's. Um, so I'm so, so excited to watch Brogdon play with the Celtics team. Uh, let's get into the games quickly because there, there was enough to see. So that first game, they crushed the Hornets 134 to 93. Um, we saw Hauser go Nazi at 14 points. Hauser, Hive, what's up? Alex, as you teed off, uh, Jalen Brown looked great, got going quick. Um, as I offered, Malcolm Brogdon led the team in assists. Uh, Mafundu, I th- hope I'm saying that right. Gavin Galei, we're him Fee, looked good. Noah Vonley looked good. Where are you guys at on the big man battle right now, either from that Hornets game or stretching into that Raptors game? Alex?
3: I just feel like with the energy that he's brought and with the fact that his teammates all seem to really love watching this dude on the court, in my mind, there's no doubt that Cavangeli has to make the roster at this point. I just think that he's such a great, fun, energy big. It seems like he really cares out there. Like, He's a very visibly emotive guy that is trying to actually impact winning. And he's developing some quality, uh, he's developing some quality chemistry, I think, with Malcolm Brogdon and Jalen Brown in particular. Those are some guys that he's kind of building uh, a solid kind of run with. Um, He's been super impressive. And I think at this point, if we're talking about big man battles for one of the last Celtics roster spot, I would, I would strongly lean towards Kevin Kelly being the guy to make it.
2: Don't disagree. Uh, Kevin Kelly looks like he is going to be able to be an actual contributor to this team, but not quite to the level. I think that, you know, the front office had hoped Uh, same with Vonley. He does make a lot of mistakes. They have to play him and drop. He's not like an ideal fit for this roster, but they, he's going to be good enough. I think, I think he's probably going to make it as well. And, on the other end of things, uh, I don't think that some of the wing-year players like Justin Jackson and Broderick Thomas are going to make it just because they have not looked great out there. And, you know, they, there's still maybe some time for them to turn it around, but the the, the big thing that I saw from that is that those, those two bigs we just mentioned I think are almost certainly going to make the roster and that the wings who are on the training camp deals are almost certainly not.
1: Yeah, Justin, can I stick with you? The Raptors game I think punctuates the point that you were – Making So Boston built a pretty big lead when it was the featured players out there. But as soon as it became a decidingly preseason game, uh, the, the tide turned. Can you talk us through that a little bit?
2: I mean, right through the first three quarters, we saw what the Celtics are going to look like this season in reality uh, when they were trying. And then they gave the, the deep rotation, some run. And, you know, like as a result of what, what, the players who were on the court were doing uh, some players who were shining earlier in the game, like Sam Hauser and to a lesser extent Peyton Pritchard uh, clammed up in their ability to get open in the first place. Uh, they like the, the way that they were playing most of the, most of the people were really gunning for themselves rather than playing together. And yeah. the players who were gunning were not hitting and mostly Broderick and uh, Justin Jackson. So I, there's, there's a world where they can, you know, salvage what's going on but i suspect that what we saw on the court particularly in the toronto game is much more related to what has been going on in practice uh or possibly not because broderick has been at least uh pretty good at the G League level but has Mm -hmm. always kind of shrunken at the nba level and this is just part of the process people who are upset by that that collapse uh probably should have been more upset about the overtime if we're being honest
1: sure i'll offer I, i saw something similar um during the Charlotte game where the deeper rotation guys, the guys who are still trying to make the team either, I don't know whose fault it is, but it just didn't seem like they knew what was happening. (laughs) There was a lot of open chatter on the court about defensive assignments and things like that. Um, That could be that they're just not familiar with the system. It could be that the system's too much. I, I, I don't really know the answer to that, but I think you're right that it's becoming clear the line of demarcation, who deserves a roster spot, who's not quite there. Um, I I, th- I really liked what I've seen from Vonley, really reliable in and, and flashy kind of way. But Cabin Gale's energy, and it seems like connection with the Jays is really interesting to me. Um, I think total agnostic, I would go Vonley, but the razzle-dazzle that Cabin Gele brings is... is he's two-way anyway, so he's,
2: he's going to be around regardless. It's just a question sure, yeah. of whether it makes sense to elevate him or not. And I, honestly... I think that with Blake Griffin being around and probably soaking up fifteen to twenty minutes at least in the early part of the season, they'll have plenty of time to get up to speed and or continue.
1: I was gonna ask you you both about that. What are your I don't think we've talked about Blake Griffin, just super exciting, super surprising. What like what are you thinking about Blake Griffin?
3: Okay. I think Blake Griffin can, you know, if Blake Griffin can give you So the reason that the Celtics, I think, picked Blake Griffin over uh, some of the other guys that were available, particularly uh, Carmelo Anthony, I'm so sorry, Cameron, Uh, is that uh, Blake Griffin is one of the league leaders in charges from last season and overall probably is a little bit more adept at fitting into the Celtics defensive scheme. Um, I don't know that he's a guy that you can necessarily at this point keep out there in that scheme for much longer than you know, kind of a few minute spurts at a time. We saw what happened when he had to defend Jalen Brown for an extended period of time in the playoffs last year. Uh, It was not pretty. So I I think in kind of short bursts, Blake Griffin can still be effective defensively and he's a solid passer. Um, His shooting has definitely been declining and he's not the athlete that he once was, but he can fill a role on this team. And I think one of the reasons that uh, Griffin will be getting some minutes early is in particular because he and uh, some of the other kind of veteran guys on this bench unit between White and Brogdon and now Grant Williams, who's got four years of experience in the NBA, those guys know how to make high level reads and be in the right places uh, and kind of shore up any inexperience that younger guys like Pritchard Hauser, et cetera, might have. So I don't hate it. Um, I don't, if, if we're relying on Blake Griffin to win us playoff games, then I think the Celtics might be in some trouble. But for a regular season guy who can come in and soap up 10 to 12 minutes every now and then, I think it's fine.
2: That's exactly right. I don't really have any anything else to add to that. Uh, Even if his shooting isn't that great, his passing is good, which is also important. He gets rebounds just as well as he ever has. He may not have you know the, the leap over a car athleticism anymore, but he's going to be fine for what they need him for, which is basically to fill in for Rob while he's out and provide some veteran leadership. I would also
1: just add, yeah, the leadership piece. He has seen an organization go through scandal uh he has seen an organization fall from grace pretty quickly uh he's also a funny charismatic guy who is the same age as the coach um so whether he lightens the mood in the locker room whether he gives al horford another 30 something to hang out with um whether he is functionally a player coach um or all of the above i think is really valuable alex i suspect you're right that he is a little bit better equipped to handle the Celtics defense than one might expect, but he is not the fulcrum of that defense. Um, so I do have pause there. He's been an okay three point shooter in his career. I'm curious about that, even though he's the slowest release I think I've ever seen. Um, but I, I'm a fan of Blaker for the person, so I'm happy that he's in our orbit. It seemed like he was having a lot of fun the other night, and that's not bad to have fun on the basketball court. Okay, one more thing, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, um, apparently, Dante DiVincenzo was almost a Celtic, we learned. Cool. We don't need to dwell on that, but it's a fun little tidbit. Uh, although I will say, if Sam Hauser is even a little close to what we hope he is or think he's going to be, if, I hate to be this reductive, but the value of that contract is extraordinary. Hello, Duncan Robinson's $18 million contract. Anyways, oh, yes. <laughs> the GM survey came out and... It's worth pointing out that last year they got everything wrong. To draw your own conclusions. But they seem to snub Marcus Smart on the defensive end. Jason Tatum was not a at the tip of people's tongue when they talked about the MVP. Any thoughts on the GM survey before we close up shop here? I've already kind of tipped my hand as to what I think about it.
2: I don't disagree. Uh, none of them are egregious, egregious. Uh, like they give Smart credit as a perimeter defender. Uh, I'm not sure what that noise is in the background. Somebody's selling something. Uh, but, you know, like Tatum as an MVP candidate after what we saw in the finals, if that really colored your, your, your opinion, which it shouldn't. But, I mean, if it did, there, there's arguments for the snubs, if you want to call them snubs. And for me, at least, it's just great bulletin board uh, material for a team that really is running out of things that are good bulletin board material. You know, you can't get <laughs> too much higher than they got last season without winning it all. You know, Mark has got Defensive Player of the Year. So what do you use to motivate you? This.
3: Fair enough. Yeah. I like that. Don't, don't disagree. I think bulletin board material is definitely the kind of rub. And, you know, with, with regard to GM surveys, I feel like, one of the things you have to take into account is that GMs are always doing their job no matter what at every time ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even if they are filling out an anonymous survey, there is almost always going to be some GM-based agendas in how they fill out that survey. Um, It is a job with no off switch. So I would fully expect that um, there would be some reticence to like you know, praise the competition and like name them. You know, as like all these, like oh, these these guys are going to be great. You know, it, it maybe a little wishful thinking, but there's some GM politicking that goes into all of this. So,
2: just before we get out of here, too, I should also throw in: if Jalen Brown is not among the best shooting guards, and he's not among the best small forwards, what are we doing? Yeah, I don't know. They're weird,
1: but I digress. Yeah, I mean, he did lead the team to the finals, in part. I don't know, Jalen, you'll have to come on and tell us what position you play. All right, that's it for now. We got some preseason games on the calendar, so next time we talk... Oh, actually, we may be talking soon, but I'm going to under and over-deliver on that one. Anyways, thank you emphatically, Diana Pressley and her team, for doing this with us. Thanks to the listeners for letting us talk politics on a basketball podcast. Although, if you think they're part and parcel, I don't think you're paying attention. Um, And on that note, like and subscribe, leave us a, a wonderful comment, and
0: we'll be back soon. Thanks.